right, welcome back to Make Do. I'm Julia Scott. And I'm Tiff Arment. And this episode is brought to you by Art Snacks. Before we get started, how you doing with your making? We don't check in every episode, but what you been doing? I went through a time where I was painting a whole bunch. Like I went in one day and I just painted a ton of things and then I haven't been back. I've been traveling and busy and... Yeah, I realized as I said it that it was kind of mean to ask you because I just realized that you've been traveling. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay because I put together my loom, which is I saw that. And I don't have like a comb thing. So I've been using a fork and... (laughs) A dinkle hopper? Yeah, literally... (laughs) It's a tingle hopper. And uh, yeah, it's, um, I have a few. Are are you using it to do that thing where you like slam the stuff you've woven into the stuff below it thingy? Yeah, just kind of like packing it down with a little fork job. Yeah, it's it's working really well, actually. The fork is just fine. I don't know why anyone needs a little tool, just like your credit card situation with Uh doing the ribs and the pots because a fork is, a fork is fine. Just throw it in the dishwasher and it's done. Goes back into the <laughs> to the crowd, so yeah, I started. It's really fun. It's tricky getting the tension right, and my son's been very encouraging. He's really cute. He's like, "How about you do some more of your art?" Like he wants me to weave. <laughs> he likes it, so it's been uh, fun. Is it a different kind of like frustration in learning because uh, it's it's not as like uh, I don't know. Um, sort of identity arty it's a different like it's a new craft because I know you've been frustrated with with other stuff that you feel like you're not as good at as you want to be it's just something completely new but yet I understand it really well because I understand fibers and I understand cloth and I understand just all of that sewing stuff so (laughs) I see what I'm doing here while I'm weaving and it actually kind of made me have some really cool ideas that I'm not going to say now because I'm hoping to try and execute what's in my mind and then put it on Instagram and see if I can do anything with this but I haven't seen anyone doing something quite like what I have an idea to do to kind of mix things that I guess to make it clearer to mix something that I have an idea of painting but with fiber art and the weaving so I'm I have an idea and I want to try it and see if I could do it and then get it off the loom which I think is going to be the trickiest part so I've been watching a lot of videos (laughs) because instructions on how to weave are kind of bummer like they're just they're not great if you don't already know what it's supposed to look like and they're telling you to put this one thing under this part and then lift that other part I'm like I don't know what all these parts are I have no concept of any of these terms or anything that's going on so yeah videos have been really helpful yeah oh my god like YouTube and Instagram are are magic for any kind of I mean obviously people probably know that but like for anything you want to you know fix or build or cook but like that that thing where you just can't you can't wrap your brain around this one movement and you can see it on a video is is amazing. Marco gave me this great weaving book, uh, Weaving Within Reach, and it's by someone um, at Flax and Twine on Instagram, which is, it's been really great and it's a very beautiful book. Yeah, I love I love technique books that you can, I mean, a lot of the time they are like uh, coffee table books, but where you can just like go through them and just get happy because someone made pretty things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. How have you been doing? I've been doing well. How's I've your been back really feeling? Well. My back is okay. My back is okay. I've been really careful both to like do my exercises and to stretch and like really think of how I'm sitting and not go because I've been having some really, really good throwing days, which is amazing. Uh, and I've really been growing in what I'm doing, I think. But then I'm like, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop long before I feel done because otherwise I will do that thing where you just sort of hyper focus into it and then you throw your back out. So that's kind of sad, but I think it's good for me. <laughs> but I I, I, I want to put in an order for that black and white face that you made. Oh my gosh, so good. I want it so much. <laughs> the like art strokey one. Oh, I mm-hmm. love it. It's yours. Uh, no, um, but I have been... Take all wait. the money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I've been... Because I remember at, at the at the the beginning of the year or end of the year, depending on how you look at it, I was saying that I wanted to work on throwing bigger and throwing different shapes for me. And I've really, really been working on that. And it's so much fun. Like, it's hard. And I, I went back to throwing a bunch of mugs because I need to, you know, restock and, and 
stock up for markets and stuff. And it was so funny to realize how quickly I can throw when it's stuff I know. Because like when I'm working on centering larger and larger amounts of clay and then working on, you know, pulling them up and shaping them, it's it's a challenge. And mm-hmm. It's frustrating, but it's a good challenge to be like, okay, I really, really have to focus on this and it's hard and I'm failing and I'm learning by failing, all that stuff. Uh, But then to be like, oh, right, the reason it can take me, you know, an hour or two hours to work on something that is big and complicated is because it's complicated and because I'm not good at it yet. Like, I know that it'll still take longer to center and work on a big vase than a small mug. But, you know, I can center and throw a mug in about, you know, five minutes or less, depending mm-hmm. on the day and the mug. And it was so fun to be like, oh, right, I can like slam out so much that, like my shav- shelves are full and I'm running out of plaster bats to set things on to dry. And I think it's also good to mix those two things to get to feel accomplished and not be like, oh, right, suddenly I'm losing way more of the stuff I'm making because I'm not good at it and it's going to fail and to have really productive days. But it's been fun. And part of me is kind of like, I just want to work on the stuff that I'm bad at all the time. But uh, those, you know, the, I can produce way fewer in a day and there are fewer buyers for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't all have wonderful taste like Tiff Arment. Uh, <laughs> but also, <laughs> just, also, you know, like make me just make me vases all the time. That's all because they're experiments, you know, they're they're not all going to be good either. So but it's it's been fun and it's been it's been challenging. And mm-hmm. there are days when it just upsets me and like ticks me off. And then days where it feels good to fail too because then I know that I pushed both myself and the clay like to the very edge of what it and I can really take. So that's been that's been awesome. That does sound awesome. I, I've been really enjoying watching all of your extended challenges. They're very, very good. <laughs> so uh, today, uh, March 8th is International Women's Day. Woo. Uh, <laughs> don't congratulate the women in your life. It's not that kind of day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we get a day. We get one day. And for anyone wondering, International Men's Day is in November because people always ask. Uh, No, we're going to be talking a little bit about being uh, a female maker or a woman maker, a woman who makes. uh, And sort of by default, it is going to sound very sort of traditionally binary that like a woman, this, men, that. And while that, you know, can be problematic in this case, it's probably because, you know, it's our experience of being cis women uh, in a world that is like that, you know, that the, that's the way the world and the art world has looked for a long time is that people are separated out into men and women. And for, I was going to say a large portion of history, but for all portion of history, I think, including now, uh, the world is often difficult for marginalized groups in general. But women are one of those groups that often, you know, struggle for mm-hmm. a number of reasons, like for... Uh, economic reasons of not having their own money or economic reasons of not being able to work or having to take care of families or because of ideas that women don't have souls, don't have artistic ability. Or centuries uh, of oppression, you know, whatever. <laughs> Century, yeah, you know, no biggie. So, and I, I do want to get back to in another episode talking about different marginalized groups and art in different parts of the world and, and the effects that that has. But this week, this is it. <laughs> do, do you think, like, is this something that you reflect on? Uh, like, what part your sex and or gender play in in your making and the stuff you make? I think about how a lot of times the things I choose to make or that I enjoy making sometimes tend to be very um, home-based female economic art crafts things. And like, I think I was just recently thinking about weaving because that's what I'm doing right now. And I was thinking about it because I'm like, it's such a very woman heavy craft that has extended through centuries for various reasons. And I think I think about that. And I'm like, and I see my son um, in our house, and he's interested in the yarn because it's pretty and it's soft. And he tangled up one of my balls, so I made him stand there with his hands so I could reweave, uh, re- rewind it. <laughs> and he had a good time helping me. It wasn't a punishment. It was just more of a okay. Well, if you wanted to play with the yarn and make it a big mess, then you're going to help me untangle it. So he did. <laughs> but and I was thinking about showing him all this, and he's getting interested in it. And I was also thinking. I know that now we're going over to men and boys, but still like it started to 
show me those walls. And I know that usually those walls go in the opposite direction, but this is how I was most recently thinking about it was that, wow, there's this very female craft and art thing in weaving and fiber art and that kind of stuff and how that feels and how that kind of like makes it initially a craft and not seen as a high-end piece of art whereas a lot of male dominated art fields it very quickly is seen as this is art not Mm -hmm. a craft and I think that that's where it gets separated and that's where it gets tricky and that's where things get to feel um almost uh, like lesser than because it's a craft versus the, you know, heavy handed, this is art. Yeah. And I, I'm always conflicted about that because in, in the fiber community, which is one that, you know, uh, I have experience with is it is often very difficult for for men to break into that both like socially and in general, because it is so coded as a feminine pursuit. And I'm so conflicted mm-hmm. because I feel like on the one hand, I'm like, I don't think that we should have you know, these strict gender roles and these strict gender separations. Uh, and I think it's important to to let people in and not make that like a threatening thing. And then part of me is like, yeah, see how you like it. Usually the, the men who want to knit are not the same men who are uh, big butt heads about it, but in general. <laughs> but but yeah, and it's, it's interesting as well. Like even when you look at fine art, uh, like you see these separations, like, you know, women do watercolor. And men do like if you look at what is coded as what, like a lot Mm -hmm. of the times, you know, women get taught or allowed into certain parts, even in the fine art stuff, or they don't get the same like appreciation. They don't get the same visibility. I don't know. Like I, I because I have spent such a large portion of my life knitting and also being a feminist uh, and those things overlap quite a bit for me. It is I have thought a lot and talked a lot about this this weird thing of like how things are not appreciated or seen as well, you know, this is either just, you know, it's a little hobby, it's cute, or uh sometimes as well, this is a practical thing, you know, you, we've always needed socks and <laughs> then don't reflect on how that's affected, you know, styles or ideas about art and color or how women have incorporated other art forms into their into their fiber making. But something that struck me that I find fascinating, and it actually struck me while I was writing uh, my book on knitting, that I thought was so cool, because there's, uh, in Sweden, I think also in in other parts of the world, there was this idea during sort of certain waves of feminism that a lot of crafts are just sort of a a waste of female time and energy, that you shouldn't, uh, you know, whatever it might be, bake or knit or sew or do your makeup and all that stuff. And because you're perpetuating a stereotype, you're perpetuating a stereotype, but also like, well, we have more important things to do with our time. And part of it for me is like, well, feminism is also about the right to choose. Then again, very few people choose things in a vacuum, blah, blah, blah. But what struck me was that knitting and handcrafts and like you know, sewing and, and weaving, that kind of thing. It's one of the few things that have been demanded of women that we now can choose freely because that thing I'm not choosing in a vacuum. You can say that like, I love makeup and I'm wearing it for myself, but you can't know because society also demands that of you. And the same mm-hmm. with like taking care of kids or cooking or cleaning. You can say, I enjoy that, but can you really choose that freely? But sewing or crocheting or knitting, they're no longer demanded of women as a part of our daily work and the things that we're supposed to supply for our family or our household or our society. So it's like the one female thing sort of that we can choose freely. Mm-hmm. And that was such such a like mind blown thing when it struck me because I can choose that. And nobody can be like, well, you're I mean, people can say you're setting women back, but I don't think people really do. It's it's been set like sort of moved aside from that. And it's it's also been, I think, elevated more and more over the past year, few years into an art form and into you know therapy and a place for for women to meet again the same way that you know women used to meet and it was sort of a a a free space uh or a safe space to talk about not just the knitting that you were doing but maybe about you know your family or things that were hurting you or sneaky revolutionary plans what do I know (laughs) (laughs) you know as you do um I was just thinking like a lot of times when you are a female maker or a creator, you get 
put into a category that I think men doing kind of equivalent or similar things put themselves into a different category, even though I guess you're kind of making or doing the same things. And something that just kind of occurred to me was if you um, are doing, let's say, you're, you decide to go into manufacturing something. Uh, I know some women who manufacture like, uh, cushion covers, right. For the home. So it's like home decor design, that kind of idea. And then you think about men who also go into manufacturing, they tend to get cataloged as their entrepreneurs, their manufacturing, their, you know, you're using all of these, I guess, masculine words to define Mm -hmm. what they're doing and they're making. And then women, it's more, they're creating, they're designing, they're curating, right? Like you never get that. She's a manufacturer. She's, Mm -hmm. you know, those kind of words and those kind of paths. And I feel like one has, if you think about it, just close your eyes. Like one has such a substantial, heavy business related connotation to it whereas the other one has like crafty flighty feelings connotation Mm -hmm. and that everyone gets kind of put into these categories and yes there are overlap and there's breakthrough and there's differences but it's almost like the the two sides can't quite help themselves even though they're all doing the same thing and I wish that all of these words could just be used to describe both Mm -hmm. pursuits and and both things but it is it's one one side gets put into a more uh, softened (laughs) adjectives for what they're doing and the uh, adjectives and nouns and then the other side gets these harder more firm adjectives and nouns and it is it's really interesting and I think that that's what kind of ends up perpetuating how you feel and how you value yourself and I think it's really hard for a lot of women to say I'm a manufacturer, I'm a, um, a producer of something, um, mm-hmm. that stern like that, whereas you kind of excuse your success, right? And you, you say, oh yeah, I, I put together this thing. <laughs> I designed this thing. I, you know, like it's, you soften up the words and you, you take away a lot of your own validity by doing that. And that's kind of sad because soft words are nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that it's it's so hard because like when we talk about female makers or women makers, you get that thing, that classical sort of language thing of something is the norm and then you have the modifier. So you have, you know, doctors and women doctors and <laughs> police officers yeah. and women police officers I and hate artists that. I hate that and women so artists. And the only only exception is knitters and male knitters, I guess. Not the only, but you know what I mean? I try and say that to my son. We try and change the way we say that. Like when, when we see a ferry boat captain, like in the summertime or something, and we're like, oh, look at the captain. Look how strong they are. Or look how strong she is instead of mm-hmm. look at the lady captain. <laughs> or like, you know, it's just like, look at the captain and then say she, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, yes. It's awesome. But but at the same time, I think that it is kind of dangerous sometimes to say that you don't, you know, see gender or see color because then you're can also be trying to ignore or invalidate the experiences and the difficulties that someone can have when they're not the norm or when they're marginalized in some way. And sometimes you do need to categorize so that you can lift one category or maybe try to find that category in in your in your feed or in your bookshelf or on your walls or whatever to be like, well, I know that this group of people are going to have a lot harder time making art and producing art and getting that art visible. And I want to be be a part of bringing that out, either because it's it's a group that I belong to or a group that I think shouldn't be marginalized. And I think also, like, you, you, you get that, like, the same way you were saying, like, you get, you know, you get a, a woman entrepreneur says something and a, a female artist can also say something. Like, you get sort of the assumption of what their art is about and what, like, what you're going to get out of it and I don't know it's it's so hard because I strongly believe that you have to both break the assumptions of what people are going to like or do because of their gender but also raise and give more value to classically feminine pursuits and interests like Mm -hmm. it's you shouldn't never dress your daughters in pink because pink is considered a girly color you can dress them in pink and blue and all the other colors and give them comfortable clothes that they can play and like that kind of thing like it's okay to 
want to draw pretty things. Like you shouldn't be ashamed of liking princess dresses and painting them at whatever it might be because I don't know. Like I I've lost shame about reading romance novels or about knitting stuff uh or about I was going to say making pretty things and then I realized that half the stuff I make is very angry and weird, <laughs> but I like that too. But to be like it's you know you know what I mean like it's no, okay no, cause, to No, no, yeah, you don't want to hide the feminine things. You don't want to put them away because you're saying that they aren't good enough. You they need to be out there and they need to be celebrated along with everything else as this is all good enough pink is just a color like it's just another color you know uh, shiny sparkly things it's just another type of thing to like it's just like looking at architecture there's like 10,000 you know well not 10,000 there are specific types of architecture but you know brutalism isn't inherently more important or idealized than like Victorian Victorian style right like Mm -hmm. they're very very different one is super frilly and like you know, all decorative. And then the other one is straight lines and dark concrete. (laughs) Right. And it's, it, one isn't better than the other. They're just very different. And I think that that is what we need to go forward in the world with displaying to, especially our children or people who are coming up and learning and kids in school. And just that there are different styles, just like in architecture. And we don't need to put any kind of, um, uh, personification on those styles of one being good or one being bad, they're just different. And that's what we're talking about with like feminine things and masculine things. Like there are two sides to it and that's totally fine. And what is shiny and one can be, sh- something can be shiny and something can be um, not shiny. And it doesn't mean that it's inherently feminine or masculine. They're just different. And whoever likes it, you just like it because you like it. It doesn't exactly. matter. And, and and to remember the difference between like feminine and masculine, which are constructions are like feminine, like female coded or male coded, mm-hmm. like the idea because, you know, throughout history, pink was considered a color for boys because it was such a, a vibrant color that it would be too much for tiny, weak little girls. So little girls were pale blue. Uh, or if you look at like you were saying, like architecture or interior design, like different ideas what has been seen as masculine or feminine has really, mm-hmm. really changed, like high heels were masculine or whatever. And and so to get the idea that these things are fixed and locked and sort of natural truths uh, is not the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so not just subjects, but like certain crafts that are taken more or less seriously, like we were saying, like knitting isn't seen as an important thing. Now, and in periods haven't, but there have also been periods where only men could join knitters and weavers guilds. And then when with industrialization, it was like, well, now we just need people to operate th- these machines and they were given to women. Same with, as with computers, funnily enough, where it's like, well, these are <laughs> stupid machines. We will give them to stupid women. Now, um, <laughs> but where you see like these ideas of, of making furniture, oh, it's, it's male. Like sometimes you really do get this division of like, hard materials, soft materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and like h- how it's coded like, oh, with maybe the size of the thing or the visibility of the thing of, or the use of the thing. Like if it's if it's used in a nice way or if it's used in like a very useful hard way. <laughs> and I feel I feel that too. Like you get also like you get for me, for me, I think it's important to there as well do both things like to take back and reevaluate and raise up the traditionally feminine pursuits, but to also make and, and make them available for, for men and boys as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to create paths for women into the traditionally male things to, you know, machine things or mill things or build big wooden things mm-hmm. because you can like those things too, you know, and it's, it's not, it's not easy. And I think when you look at the subjects as well, like if, if you make, I don't know, like big paintings with that are complicated or abstract hold higher value to some people. And I know what I'm thinking also is because you get, I mean, a lot of artists are only discovered after their deaths. But I think it is a lot more common for women in general and marginalized groups in general. It's a lot harder to you know, make a living while you're living and get appreciation and get understanding because so many things are like, well, this is just, you know, this is just your thing and people aren't even going to look at it or people are going to assume that it's not important either because you're not on trend for the time or because it's assumed that you don't know what you're doing or it's assumed that, you know, your teacher or your husband are actually making it. And it's, 
it's really frustrating, especially since so many art movements have had women who were very active in them. And sometimes, you know, we're a large part of creating them. But then other people get the credit for it because the Victor writes the history books. Do you see a, a positive change? Uh, I mean, I certainly do. I feel like that they, the time that we're coming up in now, I don't know, I feel a lot more welcome and able to bust into a typically male-dominated art form, craft, hobby than I'm sure that our our mothers and our parents' generation felt because I, I don't know, like I... I don't feel barred from anything. I feel like I can go out and make or do anything that I would want to make and do. I mean, I'm not doing it on a professional level, so I don't feel that intimidation. Uh, I mean, maybe podcasting a little bit. That was certainly a, a small barrier. I had to learn how to be more assertive and ask for things <laughs> instead of just waiting for someone to ask me to be on a show. I had to go and tell like I'm going to do this show <laughs> and and I think that that is something that it's a learned behavior among people so that a lot of times women don't have that learned behavior so they'll inherently shy away from it uh, or or wait for something to happen and because that's what I guess a lot of people are told is the polite thing to do but really in business or any, if you want to go and get something, you kind of go out and get it. But then you're seen as uh, super aggressive as mm -hmm. a woman if you go and do something like that. So it's, you know, always that catch 22. Yeah, no, I think definitely like I think there's a lot of factors. One is what we were talking about at the very beginning of being able to like one of the barriers to making art has been knowing how to do it. If you weren't you know allowed into schools or didn't have a mentor, a lot of things are really hard to learn. And now mm -hmm. you can find so much information online about how to do things. You can get tips about materials like that. It's so much easier to sort of jump in and try things. Uh, and on top of that, you have social media also making it easier to find other people to be inspired by to for people to get found and discovered and, and get opportunities. Mm -hmm. You can find you know, galleries who are looking for maybe female artists, you can find like I find a ton of markets that uh, have a focus on on female makers, female artists and creators or female and non binary, most of them, which I, I wouldn't have been able to find, you know, 20 years ago, but here I can find them. And uh, I mean, in general, to find markets, regardless of what kind of market, uh, or, you know, find stores that want to sell my stuff. And you find safe spaces to have discussions, you find people who will tell you that what you're doing is okay. And then the general sort of societal thing that sort of goes in weird cycles, two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, five steps back. But I mean, there is a progression of waves of feminism and of societal change and growth that does give opportunities to people, regardless of whether that is, you know, being able to have our own credit cards, depending on where in the world you are, where that happened. But like having access to your own money, to a space, uh, to believing that you're allowed to do things, to being assertive, uh, to sending your stuff to a, a juried show or something. And all those things together, I think, are such a difference. And I think it's really been an exponential growth in opportunity and opportunity and opportunities over the past few decades. Because like, even things like, and I mean, this is maybe more of a Europe thing, like, but for instance, having access to daycare here fairly cheaply, but in the US having like daycare structures at all mean that women can work and or do art. I just I think like I think of my my husband's grandmother. She was an amazing painter. She I mean, she was amazingly productive. She worked in so many different mediums and she was so talented both in different mediums and different styles. And she was part of this artist community for a while. And then, you know, she got married and she had kids and she always kept painting right up until like the very last few years of her life when she both became very weak and also had problems with dementia. And I just think like what what could she have accomplished if either it hadn't been assumed that she was going to stay home with the kids and like focus on that uh, or if women had had higher status in the art world mm -hmm. because again like she she grew and she tried all these things and she was a wonderful woman and I'm so glad I got to meet her before she passed away 
but you always think that and you think that with so many women throughout history like you have that you know um uh, virginia wolf talks about having a room of your own mm-hmm. to to write and we we've talked about having a space to make your stuff i think we even called that episode a room of one's own uh <laughs> But it's not just that. It it's also that thing of like who who has to take responsibility for for what, who has to give their time and their energy and their brain space to making a household run. And that's still very much true today. You know, women do take a lot more of that emotional and practical labor on. But it has changed. And you know, so many people like you you have that um that idea of Shakespeare's sister. Like she didn't get to become a writer but imagine I, I mean she's 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 an idea I don't think he had a sister and if he did we don't know much about her but as a concept like all these women and other marginalized groups through history where so many did manage to create all these amazing things despite all of these obstacles and all of these barriers and just imagine like how many people could have done amazing things and I think that's that's one thing that gets more difficult though which is more of like an economic factor for both men and women and and all sorts of groups is we've entered a period where capitalism demands a lot of us and it's hard harder and harder to have the space to to sort of make art on a on a larger scale and a larger portion of your life because you know art schools are more and more expensive there are fewer scholarships in general there are fewer you know you, you don't have that same opportunity maybe to take you know, years of your life to try to grow unless you want to sacrifice a lot of other things in your life um, so that only a, f- a certain portion of society can try to make it as artists, as fine artists, as actors or directors, because you need to have a very good safety net or you need to have a lot of savings to make it work. And that is where it will be even worse for marginalized groups because they are mm-hmm. less likely to have really good wages, less likely to have savings, less likely to, and like, you know, all these things. So if you come from an underprivileged group, regardless of what it is, you are less likely to have the, the guts to do that unless you're, you know, super talented, super lucky. And even then it can be super hard. So I think we're in this weird like overlapping in between Venn diagram thing where on the one hand it's gotten way better and on the other hand it's also harder for certain people. Maybe, oh, I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm being unfair because it's like well it's harder for the middle classes who used to be able to sponsor their kids schools and it was always hard for other groups and that's probably true as well but no the economic despair it, it's it's becoming more of a very um, <laughs> privilege-based system to be able to take time off and create art and essentially as you said in the beginning with a lot of times waste your time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know you said it in a negative uh, it is a negative thing to think of it like that but (laughs) it's a privilege to To be be, uh, to have unproductive time yeah it's a it's a privilege to essentially waste your time trying out arts and and crafts and making things and experimenting with stuff because there is no absolute guarantee that any of it is going to go commercial or be successful. But if that's what you want to pour yourself into, there is an inherently a giant amount of privilege that that comes with that, like being able to do that. And a lot of that is economic privilege. And it kind of, it's really frustrating that you don't just need the, the the desire and the talent and the the artistic drive in order to want to do these pursuits you do need a very healthy influx of capital in order to start yourself up with basically making anything mm-hmm. you can start small scale for relatively little investment but once you do want to go large with things it requires space materials time like there's there's just so much that being artistic demands that society doesn't put any inherent value on and you need to provide that value yourself with like an economic uh, safety net like you said and almost nobody can do that there's so few people that can supportively do that you you need someone else in your life you need something else in your life you need a a history of financial stability like there's a lot of factors that lift people up and then those 
then inherently those are the people that get seen, right? Because mm-hmm. they're the people that are able to do it. And it's, it just, it keeps bringing on layers of, uh, I don't know what the word is, just art and <laughs> <laughs> just art and making things seem to act like a, I don't know. It, 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 I, I, I'm having a hard time articulating this because I want to, I'm coming from, I'm coming from a giant place of privilege personally, but it also is a frustrating factor in that there should be more voices and there should be more perspectives and more people represented. And art should be one of those places that everyone gets to be equal Mm-hmm. And everyone gets to show what's in their souls because everyone has a soul. And that's where I think I'm finding it difficult to articulate because it's frustrating that inherently producing, creating things, making things as human beings is something that's in all of us. We just all kind of find a different way to do it. But yet the privilege to do that is so um, separated from Yeah, and, and like it's, it is so sad that because I – like you're saying, like ev- everyone, I think, has something inherently in them. And some people have a hard time finding it. Some people don't believe they have it. Some people don't think it's important. But that so many people have that stolen from them, regardless of whether, you know, they would have been or want to be great artists or give it a lot of their time. But to have the space, the economic, the physical, the mental space to just like get to play a little like, I, mm-hmm. I you know, I want to give people, you know, um, what do they call it? Citizen wage, uh, whatchamacallit, like for a year just to get to play with stuff. And I'm also then, and, 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 you know, we mentioned this often, I also come from a place of, of, of privilege and being able to do a lot of the things I do. And some not insignificant part of that um, compared to a lot of people is that we have a good social safety net in Sweden. So I don't have to worry about like what happens if if I cut myself worse and need stitches, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the um, same thing for entrepreneurs in other countries, right? Like they're mm-hmm. able to go out and take more risks and start more businesses and be more creative in general because you have the safety net of um, socialized healthcare. And it is something that that alone is a giant barrier from a lot of people to not pursue your creativity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times those people, to bring it back around, are women and usually also, other, uh, you know, other even way more marginalized groups. And that's where you see and, and where we kind of started this whole discussion in that you kind of start at a lower tier and you need to fight and work your way up. And um, and on, and on yeah. top of that, the stuff that you make is going to be seen as less important either because of the subject matter or the styles that you do or because you reference things that the the sort of privileged group or norm group doesn't understand, which you see a lot um, with a lot of marginalized groups. And it turns out the privileged group and <laughs> the, the group with money, they're all the people buying the art, mm-hmm. right? So they have the income in order to purchase and enjoy and... Um, patronize uh patronize yeah that's the right one uh in both senses of the word <laughs> i always i'm always very careful because i'm like it's not patronize it's not patronize don't say patronize <laughs> but like they're they're the ones that are able to support these communities and lift them up and make someone a success and you know so it's like they're coming from a perspective and they're going to purchase and uh, advance a lot of things that are, are in their own agenda, right? So, mm-hmm. it's, but that it's is actually tricky. something that it's it's funny that you say that word. Uh, pa- pa- now I can't say it. Uh, <laughs> patronage, uh, <laughs> because that is also something that is positive with with like new technologies that you have things like Patreon or mm-hmm. um, other form of like just support systems where we don't have as many anymore. I think opportunities for people to find patrons who are just like here have money and live on my estate in in Venice you know or for that matter people who will buy lots of paintings to support someone but you can have many little trickles of income either from you know selling prints on Instagram but you have stuff like Patreon or uh I mean all all sorts of stuff like that where you can find money from lots of people and where mm-hmm. that a lot of the time still can have problems of who gets visibility and who gets shared but I think that's really cool where you can support the people who are doing stuff that you believe in and you can support them without necessarily getting something back for it which is I think is also amazing because I do think about that, like what what can you do like I it's it's um 
it's almost funny that I remember a couple of years ago, there was an article and I, I mean, these happen all the time where someone's like, I'm going to spend a, like usually uh, a man says I'm going to spend a year uh, reading at least half female authors or whatever. And a lot of times I will look at my statistics of, of like music and books and be like, it's almost all women. Uh, it's not that hard. Uh, which <laughs> That's what I think about my Instagram, too. It's like they have like those follow things where people are like, oh, check out these couple women that I follow. I'm so awesome for, you know, again, typically a male. I'm so awesome for following these like three ladies. But it's uh, it's also like I mostly follow women artists. Like that's all who I follow because it's all who I relate to. And right? again, I'm like, wait, is that is that bad? Is that is that a different kind of like discrimination that I mostly follow women? But it's also like when it comes to art. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, um, people do fiber art, sometimes ceramics and like the aesthetics that I like. And sometimes I'll be like, all right, um, I'll do a little quota of men. But what I think is that because I also try to, in, in most of my feeds, find people who have perspectives and lived experiences that are different from my own, not to be like, oh, I'm a good person, but because I'm genuinely curious and I think it's good to make your brain rattle around a little bit and like have different input and... Then also because I'm, I mean, I'm trying to be a good person. I also think that people who are in different marginalized groups deserve visibility. And maybe I can, because again, of my, my privileged position as a person who works and lives in the culture sphere, I can tell other people about them. Uh, I can recommend them for things. I can buy their stuff sometimes. And I think that it can feel problematic sometimes to be recommended like, hey, here are five women you should follow. But like I said at the beginning, it's like, yeah, but that is one perspective that maybe you're not realizing that all of the woodworkers you follow are men, for instance. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm good with that. So maybe that's uh, we're going to try and do many days, a couple of days of recommendations of artists on Instagram that both of us follow and like and appreciate. Mm -hmm. And we would love your recommendations as well. But right now, right here, we thought we'd do and I know this was impossible for both of us, uh, but to do a few like female uh artists that you think either people might want to check out or that you like or that because instantly I was like Frida Kahlo and then I was like am I just a Pinterest girl and then I was like you know what that's okay because Frida Kahlo has such an amazing aesthetic such an amazing story such an amazing history was underappreciated for for so long like you know when they did stories about her being like oh this is just you know the wife of Diego Rivera also paints isn't that cute you know <laughs> And also had so much to overcome with with disability and um, sickness throughout her life. Um, I also want to talk about uh, Louise Bourgeois, who she was a sculptor. Oh, she was primarily a sculptor. She did a lot of different art. And she does these amazing sort of freaky, disturbing sculptures. Like she made these giant metal spiders. It's a sculpture called Mother that I think has been displayed in different parts. Like it's building size. They're huge. Uh, that have been displayed around the world. And she makes sort of these amazing grotesques that I think are just so wonderful. Uh, I want to mention Nikki de Saint-Fal. I'm not good at French. Uh, <laughs> and I I've, I came to know about her when I was a tiny child because she was also a sculptor. She makes these amazing, also sort of sculptures, mostly of female forms that are just bulbous and amazing and super brightly colorful and decorated. She has she was displayed at and now there's a permanent collection of them at the Modern Museum in Stockholm. So like I grew up thinking of them as sort of like climby sculptures because I saw them when I was a tiny child mm -hmm. and then reading more and more about her. I just find her fascinating and her art is amazing. And there have been big exhibits and books about her. And then more sort of contemporary, there's this uh, ceramicist called Hitomi Hosono who makes these incredibly detailed carvings of like super many layers of organic shapes and flowers and leaves and things and they're just so bizarre i'm also gonna uh, link in the show notes an article about some groundbreaking female ceramicists who have not gotten the attention that they should and then to bring it to to today and instagram i also want to mention bookie margoff 
who is called Becky something, I forget, uh, on Instagram. She makes these. I, I met her at XOXO and then I realized that I had already followed her. She makes these uh, like pom-poms, you know, like with pom-pom makers where you wrap mm-hmm. yarn. But she, I don't know how she does it in her brain, but like she makes figures that are like animals and patterns and things where she just wraps in with these weird patterns and suddenly... It's, it's like, you know, sometimes when people make origami and you cannot figure out what it is and then they do a little shake and it's like, oh my God, it's a it's a giraffe. And that's kind of what her pom-poms are like. And I think it's amazing. And yeah. What about you? I'm horrible with names and I'm sure people out there can totally relate. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I like this person. I don't know who they're called. I do want to highlight one person that I particularly like. I bought pieces from her before and I've... I think I've mentioned her before. Um, Jessie, she goes by Etta V over on Instagram and she makes these really bright, colorful art pieces. She lives in Paris and she has the most beautiful little daughter ever. And her work is now being displayed on like shoes and notebooks and gift wrap and all kinds of stuff. It's just really a bright, colorful, beautiful um, work of art that, that she does and she's a really good follow over there and you should totally d- buy some for pieces um, other than that I just have like a giant list of Instagram people I'm generally terrible with names uh, but I appreciate them all we can post them a in the show notes and b we can share some stuff on our Instagram absolutely I'm also going to post in that because uh, I think we should start wrapping up I'm going to post an article that was really interesting about women artists and the challenges of mid-career stagnation and how that affects female artists differently. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you that this episode of Make Do is brought to you by Art Snacks. Art Snacks is a wonderful way to discover new art supplies. Each monthly box includes four to five full-size premium art products to help you discover new tools, practices, techniques, uh, and a lot of other wonderful artists who are they're not going to put artists in your box. That would be bad. Uh, but you can find them through Art Snacks online. You also often get new products before they're available in stores. And the team carefully select and rigorously test each product to make sure that they meet the standards that they know your art deserves. And I just realized that it is a brother and sister entrepreneur mm-hmm. duo team. So yep. there's that. <laughs> so what what are your favorite little touches about your Art Snacks boxes? Every time uh, it cracks me up saying, oh, it's next boxes, because it sounds like such a weird tongue twister. <laughs> I love saying it. I do like the candy. I love the candy. Um, I also really love all the new little products. Hold on. I got one right here. I want to look at it. <laughs> um, this time I was really psyched about these like rich um, past- soft pastels that they sent out. And they're kind of like in, a, in an ombre package. It's really excellent. And I've been watching on Instagram all the different people doing their various um little art snacky arts uh hashtag art snacks i don't know it's not in our ad read but it's on there it's on instagram (laughs) and they're really really cool to see and so that's so that was my wonderful surprise this month i'm really pleased with that but art snacks offers both u.s and international plans so no matter where you are whether you're in sweden or the united states (laughs) you can get creative and art snacks is offering an exclusive deal to make do listeners because you're all awesome we're awesome art snacks is awesome we get 10 percent off of the first month of art snacks if you use the code make do at checkout so go over to artsnacks.co and find out more and don't forget to use the code make do to get 10 percent off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan and that helps us because it tells art snacks that you like us and we like art snacks and everyone's in a big like fest and we can all make art together so our big thanks to art snacks for their support of this show and all of relay fm so we started getting into it but like what do you think either we or the powers that be can or should do for female makers like so Daycare, free tampons in bathroom. I don't know. I'm trying to think. (laughs) A lot of, I think, um, women to women support. A lot of times I feel that a lot of times in communities where women have become the primary caregiver of children and you're in that standard, regular grind of you're the mom, dad goes off to work, there's a house all of that. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> the The women get kind of pigeonholed into you either need a career that is, you know, very powerful, or you need to be like the super mom. 
And I feel like that there should be more support for people that just want to make stuff and be creative. And I think that a lot of times women will frown on other women for doing that kind of thing. And I think that just in general support all across the board for wanting to enjoy and better yourself in a, in a craft or pursuit or creative thing that you want to do is just really important. You know, don't say that someone wanting to learn a new instrument or take up a new hobby isn't worth their time because it is because it's fulfilling and it fills your soul. And that's so important. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you are at a point of privilege, regardless of, of if it's economic, social, uh, or whatever it may be to, you know, use that platform to have discussions and to showcase people who don't have the visibility or to maybe even raise up people who are already getting lots of um, visibility to show that, yeah, no, I appreciate this thing that you are doing. I think also, and it's something that I'm also always of two minds about is don't demand that women's art be like female art. You know what I mean? Like don't demand that. And that I think goes for any marginalized group. Like don't, ask of a, a female maker that she represent either a movement or a group or that everything has to be about that. It can just be, you know, a cabinet because I do think it's important to have those discussions. And in some sense, you know, most art that women make is going to be feminist in some respect, but don't demand that and don't immediately read into everything. Don't read like motherhood or femininity or body issues into everything. Sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes people can, just want to make a thing but also you know uh sometimes do shove feminism onto and into everything but that's my personal you know thing <laughs> so with that um you can go find our show notes over at relay.fm slash make do and we are make do pod on twitter and instagram and we're two ladies and we're artists. <laughs> oh my God, I saw we're artists. Ah, okay. We you can find us in, individually at Tiffany Arment and at Julia Scott S K O T T. And we'll be back in a fortnight. And until then, go make and do. <laughs> <laughs>